0: Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, if you've ever had a child, uh, you remember that moment. You remember the moment that uh, that child was born and something unique and special about the firstborn. I remember thinking that I had somewhat of an understanding of what to expect whenever our first child was born. And, uh, and I thought, you know, it's kind of relaxed until they have you put on like the gown and all that stuff. And it was like, then it got serious. Uh, although in my process, they skipped that deal. They didn't, they, the gown never came. It was just like, it's go time. Like it's, we're, we're it's, it's come, baby's coming. And uh, you know, Tiffany and I, we did these birthing classes with another couple. We hired this doula that kind of told us different pressure points to squeeze and ways to massage and help her focus on her breathing. And, and so, Go times here and like Tiffany's in the throes of labor and I'm doing like the pressure point thing and like I, I'm, I-, I think I'm doing a pretty good job as a coach and uh, I feel pretty confident about things. She hasn't spoken for like a couple hours. She's just hurting and like in the throes of labor and delivery and in those moments she finally opens her eyes and looks at me and she says three words and I know what you're thinking. She's going to say, Tim, I love you. I love you. You know what she said to me? change your face, change your face. And until our baby boy was born, that's the only thing I heard from my wife. So I, t- I try to, Ooh, this is good, this is good. Uh, but there's something about labor and delivery that couple this unique paradox of, of severe suffering and great joy. And Paul's going to talk to us about that today. He's actually going to use this analogy of childbirth that you and I are experiencing, that creation itself is experiencing. So if you're new with us, we're studying our way through this incredible book, the book of Romans, and we land ourselves in Romans chapter 8. And so if you would, would you stand to your feet with me? We're going to read today's verses. If you're new to Central, this is kind of a, a custom that we've, we've grown into, uh, standing in honor of God's word, because we believe in moments like this, God's going to speak to us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 25. So a little bit of a chunk of, of Romans chapter 8, as we move further into Romans uh, Uh, We're going to start taking larger and larger chunks. But here's Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 25. When I get to the red-letter words, if you could, really loud, really proud, read it out loud with me. And I think you're going to pick up on a theme of Romans chapter 8 in this specific section of Scripture. So here it is. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we... With him, in order that we may also be glorified glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering suffering of this present age is not worth comparing with the Glory. glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly. But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been, it's been groaning together as in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit we too groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he already sees? But we hope for what we do not yet see. And so we wait for it with patience. Father, we thank you for your word today. And God, I pray that you would speak to us every individual here in this room and collectively as your church, for those tuning in online, for those listening to this, maybe a podcast or on YouTube at a later date, God, would you speak to us in a way that only you can through the power of your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five and then you can have a seat. High five. So glory, glory and suffering... Romans 8, 16 through 17, let's pick it up where we left off last week. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. What we found out as we've been studying Romans chapter 8, is Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 2 makes this amazing declaration that now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And after those first two introductory verses, he begins to give this discourse, this this celebration, this unpacking of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life. And so today we're going to see that, that we groan, that creation groans, and next week we're going to see that the Holy Spirit inside of us groans and helps us in the midst of, of suffering. But we saw last week that, that one thing that the Holy Spirit does, he confirms our adoption as God's children. So verse 17 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here's the caveat, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present age is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. This idea of suffering and glory. I want to give you four observations off, out, out of the gate, four observations to kind of frame up our time, four observations on suffering and glory. Number one, uh, suffering and glory are part of the Christian life. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Suffering and glory are part of the Christian life. Christ suffered and then was glorified. Romans eight seventeen. provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is a topic that you don't hear taught on a whole lot in Christian circles. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't necessarily enjoy hearing teaching on suffering. Uh, we want to hear about God's love, God's peace, and great, let's go eat roast beef, right? Like that's, that's kind of what we, we hope for. But a theology of suffering is pervasive in scriptures and a theology of sufferings is vital for you as a follower of Jesus to know and to understand because if you don't have a, an understanding or a theology of suffering, inevitably, whenever things get hard in life, whenever you lose a loved one, whenever you get a diagnosis that you didn't anticipate, whenever, whenever you lose that job, whenever that relationship goes south, whenever things get hard, you think, well, wait a minute. This isn't part of what I signed up for. And after all, God, don't, don't you know I love you? Don't you know I'm trying to be faithful to you? So what is this going on in my life? In times of suffering, if suffering is really difficult, we think, God, why are you doing this? But the fact of the matter is that suffering and glory are part of the Christian life. Jesus said himself, in this world, you will have trouble. There will be suffering. On the night that Jesus was betrayed in John 15, Jesus said this, John 15, 18 says, if this world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, if people are shunning you, if people are boxing you out, if you're not invited to that circle or, or, or you're ostracized from, from that group, just know that it did that to Jesus first. It says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 2 Timothy 3:12. in fact, everyone, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But in the midst of persecution, there is both suffering and there is also glory. 1 Peter 4.13 says this, But rejoice insofar as you suffer, as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when he is, his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. This idea of suffering and glory going hand in hand. Uh, Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says, for our light and momentary troubles, our light and momentary sufferings. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's great for Paul, but he doesn't know what I'm going through. Like Paul might have suffered, but he's not suffering like I have. Well, check it out. Like Paul, he was, he was being transported as a criminal for helping people fight and follow Jesus, and he's shipwrecked. He spends a couple nights out in the open sea. Five times, Paul is whipped. 40 lashes minus one. It's different than the flogging of Jesus that we see on, uh, at, at the Passion Week. It's not a Roman flogging. It's a Jewish flogging. They would take a leather whip. They wouldn't have glass. and It wouldn't, wouldn't be as bad as what Jesus experienced. But, but five times, I mean, any whipping of any kind, much less 40 lashes on your back and backside, like that's not, that's not a good day. He was beaten with rods three times. And beaten with rods, it was where they would take these heavy heavy uh, sticks and they'd bind them together and they would take the, the person's feet and expose the, the heels of the feet and they would smack their feet, breaking the bones in their, the soles of their feet three times. He had this done. Paul probably couldn't walk very well because of this persecution he experienced. He's imprisoned a number of years. This man knew suffering. I mean, you could read more about it in 2 Corinthians 11. But he says, says, here's what what I would say. My light and momentary suffering, it's achieving for me an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He's saying it's not even even worth comparison. There's suffering and glory. All that to say there's suffering and glory in the Christian life. For those of you who love God and want to please him, there's going to be suffering and glory. Both are part of the Christian experience. Second, number two, Suffering and glory represent two different ages. I think in your notes it just says age, but it's ages. So two different ages. Suffering represents this life. It's experienced in this life. Glory will encompass everything about the next life. Paul says this, Romans 8, 18, for I consider, I consider, this this word uh, consider, I consider, um, where we at here? Yeah, there, I consider. This Greek word there is logizomai. Uh, We get our English word logic from it. So Paul's saying, I've reasoned this out. I've pondered this. I've thought about this. I've, I've, I've come to this logical conclusion. I've considered that the suffering of this present age is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Suffering and glory, suffering in this life, glory to come. Third, suffering and glory cannot be compared. The best you can do is contrast them, but you cannot even compare them. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the suffering of this present age is not worth comparing. Like you can't, the the glory so far outweighs the suffering that it's not even comparable. The suffering of this present age is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. He's not saying that that your trouble is insignificant. He's not saying that your suffering is not legit. He's just saying that in, in light of eternity, this life is like a nanosecond compared to the billions and billions and billions of years that you will experience in eternity, in, in glory. The suffering and glory is not worth being even comparing. And then, fourth and final here suffering and glory affect both God's creation and God's children. Suffering and glory impacts this world, impacts this creation, just as it impacts you as God's child. So what I'd like to do is spend the remainder of our time talking about those two topics, the suffering and glory of God's creation, and then the suffering and glory of God's children. So number one, under that subpoint, suffering and glory of God's creation. When we talk about creation, we're talking about the cosmos. We're talking about the oceans, the mountains, the creeks, the meadows, the rivers, the forests, the lawns. Uh, the parks, the, the gardens, the creation. It says this in verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That word eager longing is an interesting, interesting phrase. It literally means to, 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 to stretch out one's neck, to wait from, from the, the top of the head is literally what it means. But it's this idea of like creation's stretching out its neck, With eager longing, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. What's he looking for? He's looking for you. What's he stretching out his neck for? Verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is looking for the moment when you and I are revealed for who we really are. It's waiting for, for you, the time to come when you will take possession of glory. And why does creation care about your glorification? Why does creation care about the completion of your salvation? Why would creation care about any of that? Look at it in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Futility. That, that word, it literally means aimlessness. The NIV says the creation was subject to Frustration. In other words, the creation was created to do good things, but it's frustrated right now because it can't, it can't perform in the way that it was created to perform. It's broken. Subjected to futility, unable to fulfill its purpose in its current condition. Listen, creation is awesome. Yes. Creation is beautiful 100%. Creation points to the, the brilliance of the creator, 100% yes, but it's still unable to do what it was originally created to do. Each day, creation, each day of creation, God, God looked at it and said, this is good. Like, like he, it, it, first day, it's good. Tuesday, he said, it's good, good. Like this is double good. You come to the end of creation, Genesis 131, he says, this is very good. But something's happened from that moment to this moment. That creation is not what it once was. Creation is not what it was originally created to be. Creation is not what it will be one day. Look at it again in verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility. It was subjected. It, 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 where are we at here? Subjected right here uh, to, to futility. So what, what subjected it? How, how did that happen? In other words, there's a point in creation when creation was forced into to, to a condition it did not choose. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who subjected it? I would suggest God subjected it. That God himself, in other words, it was this moment when God gave a decree that the condition of creation changed. And we read about this fall of man in, in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve, God said, hey, if you eat from this tree, like, like you're going to die and not just humanity that's where death entered our human experience like you were never created to die i was going to visit someone this week who's dying you know for lack of a better term and and it's awkward you know it's it's death is weird to us because you were never created to die but but death entered the picture genesis chapter 3 because the fall of man but it didn't just impact humanity look at it genesis 317 through 18 to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you, you, should, you must not eat. Look at it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So oftentimes we think, well, if I sin, it's my sin. It impacts me. It doesn't impact everyone else. Not true. The choices you make, whether they're known or not known, secret or public, the choices we make impact those around us. And according to this, Adam and Eve's sin, it didn't just impact humanity. It impacted creation. God cursed the ground because of you. Cursed be the ground because of you through painful toil. You'll eat it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. You'll eat the plants of the field. So you have like this things coming up that were never part of creation, thorns, thistles, poison, Ivy, poison Oak, things that aren't, aren't pleasant. Why? Because it was subjected to frustration by the one who, who subjected it. So in a word, how would that happen? in a word, it's sin. Sin entered the picture. It's, it's, creation in chains. It, it, we, want it, we want it to be right, but it's, it's just not right. And you experience this, right? Like, I mean, if you have, if you have a yard, uh, if you're lucky enough to have a yard here in San Jose, California, you go and mow it, right? You get those lines straight. A couple days later, it looks like you haven't touched it in weeks. You prune the tree. Well, the tree gets disease. the tree dies. You, you take care of the plant, you water it, you fertilize it, bugs come and eat it. It's, it's this destruction that earth isn't functioning as it, as it should. Romans 8.21 says the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and decay. It's like it's trying to break fear, but it, but it can't. Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning Creation creaks, creation groans, creation's in anguish together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul tells us here in Romans 8 that the whole creation's groaning, and you're groaning. Like, we know this firsthand. Like, our bodies aren't functioning the way that we wish they would. Next week, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit groans. He intercedes for in the midst of suffering, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of some ambiguity. The Holy Spirit's interceding for us. We're going to see that. But here, Paul says the whole creation has been groaning together as in the pains of childbirth. Now, what do we know about childbirth? If you're a man, we know very little of childbirth. Let's just get that out there. <laughs> Women, if you've had a kid, you know, you know something about childbirth. But just from the outside observing childbirth, the pains start light. And then they get more and more intense. The, the, the contractions start slow, but then they get more and more frequent. And we're seeing that play out in creation. According to FAO, or Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, natural disasters are happening three times more often today than they were in the 1970s and 1980s. We don't have to reach very far back to see natural disasters Uh, playing out in our modern day time. We see Maui on fire. We see fires in Northern California and along the West Coast. We see tornadoes in the Midwest, flooding in Libya and China, hurricanes in Florida, the earthquake in Morocco with death tolls over 3,000 this year. Just this week, earthquake in Afghanistan taking the lives of more than 3,000 people. In February, devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria took the lives of over 50,000 people. And all that's just in 2023. So not only is the frequency increasing, but also the intensity of these natural disasters are increasing. According to usfacts.org, they state, and I quote, the number of natural disasters that cost over a billion dollars has increased over the last 40 years, rising from an average of three per year in the 1980s to 13 per year in 2010. I got a chart just to show you how this, this plays out. I know it's small, but you get the. So this starts in 1980. This is 2021. And all of these are natural disasters that cost over a billion dollars. So not only is the frequency increasing, but the intensity of these natural disasters are increasing in our time. All that to say creation is groaning. Creation's growing. We can go back to that Romans slide, but when you factor. The frequency of these natural disasters. You factor in the intensity of these natural disasters. You free, you factor in what's happening in Israel and what's what's playing out. Uh, I, I'm just saying, like, be ready, church. Yeah. Creation is is groaning. This word "groaning" is an interesting word in the Greek. It's actually it could be used of a woman who's in the throes of labor, and if you've experienced that before, then you know what That's kind of intense. But in secular Greek literature, this word groaning was used of warriors on the battlefield. It's like the sound of war, the sound of battles stopped, the clanging of swords and, 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 and spears and, and shields have stopped clamoring and now there's silence. But there's those who are mortally wounded, but yet alive. And they shriek and they're groaning. That's the word. That's the image. Creation is groaning. The creation, the cosmos, the world is suffering. It's steadily, irreversibly, unavoidably falling apart, wearing down, giving out. The de- that deterioration, I would suggest, cannot be turned around. This isn't a popular statement, especially here in the great state of California, but the sad reality is reducing your carbon footprint will not reverse this. Creation is wearing out. And let me just say this, we do have, as followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to be a steward of creation, 100%. We're we're putting solar panels on the church this year, y'all. We're we're for it. We're trying to do our part. But we steward creation. We know we cannot save creation. Do you know what creation is looking for? Do you know what creation is hoping for? Verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's looking for you. Creation understands that our condition affects its condition. Creation understands that our glory affects its glory. Our future impacts its future. Verse 21, that creation itself will be set free from its bondage and decay and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is set free when you are set free. Let me just make an observation for all of us that I just think is critical it's important for us as followers of Jesus, perhaps in our day more than ever before, uh, to distinguish the messaging of society with the messaging of God's word and discern the two. Particularly whenever it comes to this topic of, of creation. <clears throat> the messaging of society is that our fate is linked to the condition of creation, and that's not true. Invariably, our culture in society tries to invert things. So what's good is bad, what's bad is good, what's right is wrong, what's loving is hate. Etc. Etc. But on this topic, the messaging is that if we don't save the planet, we're doomed. But according to the text, according to the Bible, our fate is not linked to the condition of the universe, but the fate of the universe is linked to the condition of man. Our freedom will result in creation's freedom. You say, well, how will that work? Well, as we're going to see in a moment, there's going to come a day when you're going to be transformed. You're going to get a new body, a glorified body. It's going to be awesome. But that's going to happen for creation as well. You say, well, what's that like? Well, there's a lot of places in the Bible that talk about this. You can look at it in Isaiah 65. You can look at it in Isaiah 66. Here's two I just want to show you real quick. Second Peter 2.10 says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, you're not going to know what's going to happen. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be laid bare by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This is the uncreation of the world. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. We talked about this last week that you've been adopted and part of your adoption is it's freedom from fear. And so you don't have to fear the day of the Lord. You don't have to fear the, the, the decreation of the world. You don't have to be afraid of that. We look forward to it. And matter of fact, as you do, how do you speed its coming? It, it's, it's you. You can speed the Lord's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we look forward to a a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. He's going to make you new. He's going to make creation new. Revelation 21.5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth passed away. It wore out. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride dressed for her husband. Now, if you've seen a bride and groom on their wedding day, uh, but, but normally in a healthy marriage, there's not a whole lot of fear. There's a whole lot of excitement though. We did a wedding here last week and I was standing here officiating. The, the groom was here and I, the bride came in. As soon as the bride came, in, it was like, yes. That's the image here. We look forward to it. It's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older things have passed away. And he who's seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. He's going to make creation new. Creation is unavoidably groaning. It's not functioning as it wants to, as it was created to, but there's coming a day when God's going to make it right. Creation will be transformed, but now it groans. Now it suffers. One day it's going to be glorified and it's going to be amazing. Which leads us to our second point, the suffering and glory of God's children. The suffering and glory of God's children. Paul says this, Romans eight twenty three, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. Creation's groaning, but we're also groaning. We who have the first fruit of the Spirit. You might be like, well, what in the world does the first fruit of the Spirit mean? What is that? What does that mean? Well, the first fruits in the Bible times was this, first fruits was an agricultural term. It was an agricultural society. So the way that would work whenever a farmer uh, is about time to harvest, his, his crops are ready. What he would do, he would gather the best of his crops, the first of the crops, and he would go to the temple and he would take it before the Lord. He'd wave it before the Lord saying, God, you've provided once again. God, you're awesome. God, I'm so grateful you sustain me. God, you've done it again. Thank you. And that, that farmer would then present that, that first fruit to the priest as a sign, God, I'm giving it to you, God. And, and that farmer would know what he does with the first impacts the rest. He gives the first to God and God blesses the rest. So it's the first fruit, but he still has a whole field to harvest. And what Paul's saying, you've received the first fruit, you've received the spirit. And so it's, you haven't received the whole enchilada yet, but it's like a down payment. It's like a, a, a foretaste. It's what's to come. And so any time in this space when you're worshiping God, any time when you're at home and you're just going after God and there's an open heaven, you feel like, I think God very God is right here with me. God very God is speaking to me. Just know it's a, it's a first fruit. It's just a foretaste. There's a whole, whole other field to be experienced using that analogy. We who have the first fruits of the spirit, what do we do? We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It hasn't happened yet, but we're in that place of waiting and we groan, waiting to be fully restored, and we can't wait to behold him. Second Corinthians 5.4 puts it this way. It says, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not because we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up in life. Paul's saying, I don't have a death wish, but my body's just not what it once was. And I long for a restored new body, a body unhindered by sin, a body uncontaminated by the things of this life, a body that will never wear out, never fade away. A body that can withstand not only the duration of eternity, but the glory and the splendor of the very presence of God himself. Romans 8.23 And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption, for our adoption as sons. It's been promised, but it's not been complete yet. The redemption of our bodies. When our bodies are transformed, when our bodies are glorified, when our bodies are redeemed, we look forward to that time, but it hasn't happened yet. And so now we groan. And some of you here in the room, you're groaning. Inwardly, you're groaning. Because... Future loss of a loved one. You got the diagnosis, it's not good. Maybe you're here and you've been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe you're watching online. You've had that diagnosis. It doesn't look good. Maybe someone you love has that diagnosis and you're wondering, man, not only how is it going to impact them, but what does that mean for me? We we groan because of our our sinful nature. Like We we do things that we don't want to do and we reflect on those things. We, We groan. We sigh, we disappoint ourselves. We know we disappointed God. It won't be that way forever. One day we're going to shed these bodies and we're going to get a glorified body. It's going to be awesome, but now there's groaning. And let me just say this, the the older you get, the more you groan. You groan more because you have more to groan about. If you're a teenager, if you're 20, 25, 30, you know very little of this. Uh, Even as a 40-year-old, I honestly don't know a whole lot about it. I do know I have hurts and aches and pains, and I don't even know where they came from. I just woke up and I hurt for no reason. I groan. Uh, our, our little girl, she's eight. She, uh, we're getting ready, and me and the boys are eating breakfast early this morning. Elsie walks in. Dad, I'm turning into an old woman. <laughs> what? what? What do you mean? My nose is running and my hair doesn't look white. We groan, and we groan, and different, everyone groans. It's true. No matter how old you are, you, you groan. But to be clear, the older you get, the more you groan. And groaning and complaining are not the same things. Groaning is simply acknowledging there's hurts and pains. Complaining is talking about those hurts and pains to the wrong people. But time and circumstance eventually will wear all of us out. Time and circumstance will eventually separate all of us from people we love. Uh, I've watched Tiffany's grandmas, um, Grandma Elsie, shout out to Grandma Elsie, and uh, Grandma Regina. Both of them are 95 years old, 95 years old. And so they've lived through COVID-19, but they've also lived through the Great Depression. They lived through political divisions, but they've also lived through world war. There's great blessings of a long life, but there's also more groaning with a long life. They lived through the passing of their parents. They lived through the passing of brothers and sisters. They lived through the passing of dear friends. They lived through the passing of some of their own kids. They lived through the passing of their husbands after 50 years of marriage. Not to mention their bodies are not the same at 95 as they were at 25. But honestly, I don't hear them complain. I don't hear them complain a whole lot about their circumstances, but I know time and circumstances taken a toll on their life. They groan. But you know what I've learned from Elsie and Regina and other Christians who have aged well? For the Christian, as the groanings increase, so does their hope. Their physical pain reminds them of future hope. And the more that they hurt in this life, the more they think about the life to come. We long to be home we get bigger with hope and one day our bodies will give birth to that hope we look forward to the completion of our salvation the redemption of our bodies but right now we groan romans 8:23 and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies what does that look like the redemption of our bodies you heard us talk about this a couple of weeks ago, that following Jesus isn't just this intellectual pursuit. It's this whole body experience where we, we serve God with our whole body, our, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. And God's salvation for you isn't just this cognitive experience, isn't just this spiritual experience. It's this whole person experience. And one day, your whole body will be redeemed. We can look at a whole lot of passages. Let me just give you a couple. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53 says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we'll all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies bodies you're gonna be congratulations you're a transformer and you didn't even know it you know you're gonna be transformed you're gonna get this new body a new body that no more aches and pains no more back pain no more knee pain uh, fully functioning if you've lost physical capacities fully restored appendages brought back people never walked running and jumping people who are blind now seeing people who've never heard The first words, "Welcome home, they'll hear them. It's going to be awesome. Jesus said this, John 14, one through four, whenever his disciples were discouraged, he'd always frame up hope in light of eternity. He says, hey guys, like I'm going to go away, but like I'm going to be put to death. It's not going to go well, but here's here's what I want you to know. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? I, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Romans eight eighteen. I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Revealed. Oftentimes, when we think of revealing, it's like this, like move that bus, and there's this big revealing. But it's not just something you, you're a spectator for it. It's something you're going to experience. It's something you're going to, you're going to see His glory. You're going to be transformed by His glory. You're going to share in His glory, and for all of eternity, you will experience His glory. It's going to be amazing. Salvation is not just God saved you from hell although that's wonderful. Salvation is less about what God saved you from, and it's more about what God has saved you for. Salvation is more about what God has saved you to. God has purpose for you, not just on this life, although that's true. He has a purpose for you for all eternity. In the book Pilgrim's Progress, there's this allegory of the Christian journey, and Christian... He's walking with this guy and he asks him a question. He says, Christian, when do you feel that you're at your strongest? He says, I feel like I'm at my strongest when I think about the place to where I'm going. And I would just encourage you as you mature in your faith, as you mature in life, think more and more about the realities of heaven. It'll sustain you through the hard times. It'll bring you hope in the midst of what might otherwise appear to be a hopeless situation. Creation is going to be made new. You're going to be made new. It's going to be amazing. And Paul closes with this, Romans 8, 24-25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, you don't hope for something that you already have. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. What's hope? Hope is anticipating the goodness of God in your life. As we look forward to what God has, we we anticipate the goodness of God in our present, yes. We anticipate the goodness of God in our future. We cling to hope. Hebrews 6.19 says we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. Hope anchors us. Hope stabilizes us in the midst of storms. It'll sustain you. It'll, it'll, It'll calm you. And the current groaning that you experience, and I know, man, some of you are experiencing some tough groaning. Life's been tough. Not just because of sin, not just because of erosion of relationships. For some of you, it's physical. I mean, you you hurt. You getting here is a feat, a testament to your love of God and love for his people. Some of you watching this online, you're in severe pain. There's hope. It's not going to be like this forever. Let me say this. For... If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this life is as good as it gets. It only gets worse from here. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this life here on earth is as bad as it gets. It's only going to get better from here. And we cling to that hope. And we don't, com- the, the suffering now, is, you just can't even compare it. Because one nanosecond into heaven, when you see him who loves you, when you behold him who's called you. When you see the face of him who not only planned your creation, but made a way for your salvation. When you see him face to face, you're going to say it was worth it all. It's worth it all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.